It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we got Deborah Borchardt. She's a co-founder and executive editor at Green Market Report. Deborah, thanks for being with us at The Talking Hedge. Well, Josh, thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. So the Green Market Report, if you don't know, financial news source that covers the cannabis industry, provides investors and businesses with information they need to make informed decisions about the cannabis market. So I kind of want to just jump right into it, Deborah, and follow up on one of the bigger stories from last year in the cannabis financial world, which was MSOs not paying federal taxes in North America, Canada included. So at 6% interest, is that just considered a cheap loan or are they finally paying up? Well, that's an excellent question because the strategy had been to push that payment out. Um, We know a lot of these cannabis companies are have been strapped for cash and have had some pretty challenging capital environments. So rather than pushing that money to the government, a lot of them thought, well, we'll just sit on it for now until things get better. And that strategy, you know, for the most part has worked. Um, the government hasn't really leaned on them to to give much money. Um, some have been paying quite a lot in taxes. If you've um, heard any of Kim Rivers' commentary, she's often quoted as saying she has spent something like two hundred and thirty million dollars on taxes. Uh, but but that was definitely a strategy that a lot of them pursued, uh, which was you know what we'll kick the can until a better day. And so far, that strategy is has worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, better you know, better way to get it to us from somewhere than nowhere, I guess. A free loan, conserving capital, you know, in and if they're not going to shut you down for paying your taxes late, or if there could potentially be a chance that some kind of legislation would be passed where they could get those past taxes, you know, waived or something along those lines, it, it's going to be a whole lot easier to wait and see how the market plays out and then pay that money versus paying a whole bunch of money and then maybe trying to claw it back if things change because that, that would be a lot harder to claw it back. Right. Decent strategy uh, when life gives you lemons, make lemon haze lemonade. <laughs> um, well, and to learn how to work the system. So. Yeah. yeah, I love loopholes. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, So switching gears on, on a different story, I saw something crazy last year about cocaine. So power, there's something uh, you had a story about power, uh, power leaves is changing the tune on coca leaves. Can So my limited understanding on that was there was a maybe cannabis company up there that filed a patent and they didn't know what it was. And so the Canadian authorities uh, agreed to approve it. And then they found out that the process was creating synthetic cocaine. Am I, can you explain that? Because I probably am not getting that right. And why are we talking about coca leaves? Right. So the, it, and it's very interesting. Yes. Um, I think that as cannabis got somewhat legalized um, in the U.S. and in Canada um, and then psychedelics started getting a lot of attention. It seemed that the different businesses started to expand that net like our. OK, so if we've started to look at MDMA, DMT, LSD. And considering those compounds for true medical treatments, um, psilocybin, obviously one of them, um, it it kind of started to to expand that net of compounds that might have had a certain stigma attached to them 
that maybe because of that stigma weren't fully explored. And I think that as a part of that, coca leaves has started to come into the equation. And but there's there's kind of two paths in this particular compound. One of them are companies that have applied for this dealer's license through Health Canada. And, and to your point, it seemed to have gotten approved. And then the headlines went crazy. And so people started to kind of misunderstand that, that these companies were going to now sell cocaine in a dispensary. And that was not it at all. Um, but it would have been a controlled substance, a la, you know, cannabis, um, that would only be sold to researchers, hospitals, um, just other licensed professionals. Um, and then what's interesting, obviously, is cannabis is schedule one in the U.S. Cocaine's only schedule two. <laughs> Crazy. Um, but but so so the idea was, well, if we could do this with cannabis, why not? Let's explore other options for uh, the use of the coca leaf. Now, power leaves is kind of gone a completely uh, different path on that. They're not looking at it this for medical purposes. They're looking at it more like Coca-Cola, like a, a coca leaf extract that would be used for beverages. Um, so as I was doing the research on these different cocaine-related companies, um, Coca-Cola has basically a, a monopoly in the United States on the use of coca leaves for flavor and as an additive for their beverages. And but most people don't power- know that, that they still do that. And most people yeah. have no clue, but they have, they import a ton of coca leaves. And I think the DEA takes the cocaine out of it and then gives them the leaf or something like that. Yeah. D, de- uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They basically strip out the um, stimulant of it. Um, and, and so you're just left with the plant flavoring. Um, and the, the people in South America that have known this plant for a long time, um, you'll hear stories about how they chew the leaves and they get health benefits and, and a lot of the indigenous tribes use them for medical benefits. And so power leaves is not trying to pursue this as a drug type thing. They're pursuing it as purely a, a, an additive to a beverage or to foods uh, for the flavoring and for some of the softer stimulation, uh, stimulant effect of it, which is kind of what you've got with Coca-Cola. But they're importing the extract. They're not importing the actual leaf. Um, the, the extract process is taking place in South America for them. So it's, it's, it's just very interesting that all of a sudden in this last year, We've started to see this expansion of what are we, you know, thinking about this product. Um, a lot of people, and and I would argue that there's probably more stigma around cocaine than LSD, because a lot of people probably have uh, close connections to very negative stories about whether a family member or friend who got addicted to this product, very highly addictive and destructive. And then, God forbid, you know, you start to throw in the crack extension of cocaine. And you really have some some bad stuff happening with this compound. And so it's it's a big re-education process to try to re-educate the market around this plant and the good part of it versus the bad part of it. Yeah, I think it's a completely different um, clientele 
which is probably why the Canna Bumps product didn't sell well. I haven't heard anything about it. Most terrible product I've ever seen in the cannabis industry. And I have no idea who they are and don't ever want to meet them. Uh, <laughs> but speaking of another uh, terrible um, situation, uh, staying in Canada is Tilray and Hexo. So um, want to see if you had any input on that. We've got Hexo who had a lot of automation. I thought that they were going to go places and yet they kind of tied themselves to this zombie that is Tilray that, you know, Brandon Kennedy came out and said, you know, we, we don't come from cannabis. We're CPG. We're going to, we're going to rock this world. And then now he can't even sell his products. Uh, Tilray rather can't even sell their products to soccer moms. They're, they're fleeing. They're looking for alternative uh, products. So what happened with that? Is that the time Warner AOL, you know, debacle that they thought it was going to be something and it's probably going to end up in bankruptcy, what it looks like? Well, probably with Hexo. I mean, Hexo got loaded up with debt. I mean, they were, they were, seemed like they were going down the correct path and that the company was fairly solid. And then like a lot of cannabis companies, just the debt overwhelmed them and they kind of ran out of time. Um, we've seen a lot of that lately with a lot of companies restructuring their debt. The lenders don't want to own a cannabis company. Most of them don't anyway. And so they've been very willing to push out maturities, uh, you know, renegotiate interest rate levels. So we've seen a lot of that. Um, it With Tilray, I, you can never count them out. I, I think because of their size, they I I think that they'll probably be one of those companies that will probably continue to to move along and and continue to operate. It, it does take capital to try and scale and expand, but you have to do it responsibly. Um, everyone's looking for money, right? Um, <laughs> you you just wrote a, a story about how SEC accused High Times of securities fraud. They were looking for capital. They were going out and merging with other companies. They bought Dope Magazine for like eleven million and went out and made their acquisitions. You know, some well, eleven million. Yeah, wasn't it two million in debt and the rest was in in uh, in stock? Two million yeah, in debt I mean, they paid off. They pay. I was. That's what I was going to say. Is is my understanding of the situation was that Dope was was in, you know, a, like we just said, in in a debt situation and needed rescuing, and so High Times came to the rescue, um, took took the debt on, but you know, and then paid them out in stock that basically is worthless. So it's just monopoly money. Mm-hmm. What is it with with that whole story? Because you would think that it's pretty black and white. We're highly regulated in the cannabis industry going public. Um, it seems black and white to me. Um, I was in the securities industry, though. So it it was ingrained. Was <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was ingrained in us to be compliant. Like if you weren't, they were going to shackle you and throw you in some gulag somewhere. And you were going to do manual labor for the rest of your life. So I don't understand why somebody would be so arrogant and ignorant. Even David Tran, and, and I love the guy, you know, he's from Seattle too, yeah, but he's like, I'll give you the shirt on my back. I'll give you a free hat. Like you can't say any of those things, even if it's a joke, like what are you doing sitting there and, and not understanding the the full compliance of, of what you're doing? You can't offer free stuff to, Hey, next person who buys my shares gets a free shirt off my back. Like, those things are are incredibly ignorant to say. So it doesn't surprise me at all that High Times is getting sued. But why did it take this long? Well, 
the SEC moves slowly because these situations, you know, they they only have so many agents to investigate these situations. And and from my experience reporting on them, it's usually a three to five year lag. So like the bad behavior happens and then three to five years later, you start to see it bubble up at the SEC. That's why we're seeing a lot coming out of the SEC lately, because a lot of this stuff was happening in the eight, 2018, 19, 20 era. And now it's finally coming to fruition, all their work. Um, it, and you're right. I, I, I have a background on Wall Street. I worked at Bear Stearns for 15 years. I had all the securities licenses. Um, the SEC has very specific rules with offering stock to the public. And to your point, they're very black and white what these rules are. There is a reason why you don't sell stock to unaccredited investors because they don't know what they're doing and then they get suckered. And that's what happened with high times. They're pushing out by five, you know, what what, what was it? Um, you could buy 10 shares for $11, $550. And then they did a $420 promotion. So they're selling all this stock to people that are very small, uneducated investors. And I don't have any problem with people getting into the market. I think that's retail is is an excellent place to start. Um, and investing is a lot of fun and a great place to start. But they took money from people that really didn't know what they were doing, didn't really understand what they were doing. And in the beginning, that offering uh, statement didn't have hardly any disclaimers. Later on, they added in, the stock may never trade. The stock may potentially go to zero um so that was added in later but then what what's interesting is with what the sec is alleging is that they did a stock promotion um that they didn't disclose now you can promote stocks you have to disclose it though you have to say hey we bought this ad selling green market report stock um if you say I do an ad buy green market report stock, but I don't tell the investors that I paid for that ad. That's when you get into trouble. It's very easy to go after people for this kind of stuff. And that's why I think that they went after high times for that. My understanding that look from the, the letters, letters, emails I get from investors at high times, they've told me that they called the SEC because they were upset. Mm -hmm. So if the SEC is getting phone calls from people going, I bought the stock, I'm upset. Uh, there's no customer service. I don't know what's going on. They're going to start to look into it. Um, the company doesn't even have a transfer agent right now. And and for for the audience that doesn't know this, um, I'm sure Josh knows what this is, is if I'm Green Market Report and I sold 100 shares somewhere, someone's keeping track of those stocks and who owns all those shares. And that's a transfer agent. And you pay that transfer agent to do your housekeeping to keep track of the shares, who owns them, yada, yada. My understanding, they didn't pay the transfer agent. I don't have any proof of this. Uh, so I have not been able to write any kind of story about it. So this is just an alleged situation. But the shareholders I know have called the transfer agent that had been on record. And they've said, no, we're not, we're not holding the stock anymore. So even the people, even if they bought stock, who knows where it is? It's, who knows keeping track of it? There's nobody keeping track of this stuff. The sad part is, Josh, is they find high times over half a million dollars for this bad behavior. 
And if they don't come up with the money, nothing really happens to them. Um, they can't, they, they likely can't do another offering, which they probably wouldn't anyway. Um, but that's about all that happens. Mm -hmm. So that, that it's, it's a little frustrating from the shareholder point of view because they, they get upset and they, they're angry and they want someone to be punished. But a lot of times people get away with it. That's the sad part. Yeah, but it might put them on the auction block for somebody else to buy them out or... Well, suck. they're already on the auction block. Yeah. They're already in a receivership. Mm -hmm. um, I know people that have re have reached out to the receiver and said that they wanted to buy assets. Mm -hmm. um, some of these assets... I don't know what happened with that. Um, as you know, High Time said that they were bought or going to be bought by Lucy's Scientific Discovery, which hasn't filed their financials on time. So it's it's you know it's 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 a pretty big mess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not that hard to get uh, an investor relations firm on board to help you stay in compliance, and it, it blows my mind this industry. Um, you know, Washington State, for example, we have 1,500 licenses, and there's only three dozen that have never been popped for um, a violation. And yet, these same companies think that they can handle a Schedule 3 when the majority of it is going to be, you know, um, highly regulated, much, much more than they ever anticipated. So what impact do you think is going to have for rescheduling on the cannabis industry? Um, it's going to be pretty big. Um, I wonder how investors are going to approach it with rescheduling are there any specific sectors that might be more impacted or see growth from it i that's a great question i feel like some of these and it's funny i had this conversation with someone the other day about some of the um ancillary businesses hmm. that did really well at the beginning of the cannabis industry emergence um so some of these tech companies that just focused on cannabis um, because no one else would do it. I think that those companies are going to find that bigger companies will now be like, oh, I'm happy to come in now. And they're going to be pushed out of the way. Um, we're already seeing stress in some of these compliance companies. Um, to, to your point, um, that was pretty important for small startup cannabis companies in the beginning. But once you get your business started and going, you're going to know what new rules and regs come down the, the pipe if you're in Connecticut, if you're in Massachusetts, whatever. Do you need to keep paying for this compliance company? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Do you need to keep paying for um, a, a mapping company to tell you where a dispensary is? You can go on Google now. Don't need that. So I feel like some of these businesses that started out with a need to fill in the beginning that need isn't going to be there. And I also think that, you know, bigger, more um, mainstream companies will start to step in. Yeah, we're also and, seeing and a lot of that outsourcing kind of come back The um, people working from home or or getting people from from other countries. You're seeing a lot of, of in, I'm at least seeing a lot of insourcing people that are hiring uh, rather than uh, rather than outsourcing. I'm wondering if people are using technology though to to get around that as well. So I went to ChatGPT and I looked at a green market report, got some slogans that AI put together and uh, artificial intelligence came up with some slogans for you. It said the green market report where the money meets the weed. Another one was stocks, bonds, stocks bonds, and bongs. Our financial forecast is lit. Ooh, cringe, cringe. They're all so cringy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, here's another one. <laughs> 
money grows on trees we'll cover every branch yeah so that's a i try to make it okay. funny but that's that's robotic humor um having said that what role does artificial intelligence and technology play in the cannabis financial services or industry at large gosh i i just don't see much of it um you know i i think ai is great for some things i use it you know, a lot of times when I'm crafting emails that are kind of markety, I find it's really helpful for that. But it can't write a story. It can't do analysis. Um, it, it can only scrape what's already out there. And so I, I, but, you know, having said that, from my point of view, uh, that's where I stand. But I could see if, if you're potentially someone dealing with strains, and things of that nature, if you had a special AI program that could maybe say, hey, this has been really popular, that's been really popular, and, and, and churn out and spit out what would be something, maybe a new strain that people hadn't considered that could be very popular. I could see that that would be pretty strong. Yeah. Um, is there anything that's that's innovative that you've seen? Um, innovative financial products or services or anything that's emerging in the cannabis industry. I feel like there's been a real lack of, of innovation. We used to see, you know, little, um, little gadgets. What is this? The toker poker, you know, like we don't even see like little gadgets anymore. Like what happened to innovation? What are some, I, yeah. some of the things that you're seeing? I think it just became, I, I know what you mean. I think it became standardization because like, yeah, you're right. I used to get these super cool little vapes trinket type things that were really cool but then when i would try to go and get a new vape cartridge for this very specific vape it was exactly. very hard oh, yeah. um vapes are problematic they're expensive they often quit working mm -hmm. quickly um you know it's like i just bought this 60 vape and two weeks later i can literally see the oil in there but i it's stuck it's clogged up it doesn't or, work or i'm on vacation and i'm i'm googling how to get it to work because i can't buy it anywhere i'm at and i'm on this youtube video and it's like you got to put this metal thing in this little thing to get it to connect to this other thing and then i got it to work and i gave the guy a thumbs up but like do i need to deal with that you know and, and that's certainly to me that's where we could see innovation i feel like the most innovation we've really seen is probably been on the beverage side where in the beginning cannabis beverages were just absolutely disgusting you know and they were just oil on the rim. It, it wasn't just, homogenized it just tasted like bong water yeah. quite honestly it was nasty mm -hmm. and now with the innovations you've got seltzers that are that taste equal to any seltzer in the market in the regular market you have fast onset fast offset it mimics the uh, experience you would have with alcohol. I mean, that's been an amazing, amazing innovation. But to your point, or, or to what we were just talking about, I would love to see if they could figure out how to keep a vape working. Because mm -hmm. they just, they just, I don't know anyone who has bought a vape and actually consumed it all the way to the end of what they paid for. You're often, they clog up. There's no way to clean them. There's no way to get them to work again. You just end up throwing them away. And that's just such a waste. There are a couple of really good brands. Avitas or Sativa spelled backwards is my go-to. The rest of them, I don't even deal with live resin or live rosin. Um, but yeah, all, all of those. Uh, actually, it was like a 400% increase in live rosin vape carts in 2020, which I found interesting. The perceived 
uh, healthiness of, of a live rosin. Are you seeing si- similar like insights uh, or significant financial trends that you're seeing in the cannabis industry of things? I mean, people are kind of uh, not sheep, but they're, they kind of move in herds. Are you seeing like a, a different financial trend of some sort that you're seeing for some reason in the last couple yeah, of years? We, we mentioned, I mentioned the uh, restructuring of the debt. Um, yeah. I think with the re- with the rescheduling talk, that that kind of bumped up a lot more private placements of equity. We've seen a bunch of those lately. Um, And I say a bunch, it's not a whole lot, but it was more than what we were seeing. And I think because people started to feel a little more comfortable with the risk of getting involved with equity again, as you know, most of these valuations are down like 90%. Mm -hmm. And we've had a couple of bumps up where people got sucked back in and then got their hats handed to them again. So that was the reason so, why people went to debt is because they were afraid of the valuations in the equity side. So they just wanted debt. Yeah, people were just they they had. We had seen a lot of capital raises on the equity side, and that was going pretty well until the stocks fell out. So those investors went, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the companies were like, OK, crap, we can't sell any more stock. OK, well, we'll do debt and we'll do like a convertible deal. So you, you saw that big shift to that. Then you had a few companies start to not pay their debt. So that got people nervous again. So then that dried up. And so we started to see more restructuring, a lot of that lately. And then, I, like I said, I'm just kind of what you would say, green shoots, just starting to see a few more private places, not a lot, but just a few. And just seeing those few, though, tells me that they, the appetite for risk is kind of starting to um, get a second look because of that potential rescheduling so it's fomo rather than any kind of uh logic yeah you got to be in it early i mean that as you know it's it you can never truly pick the right moment Mm -hmm. but yes you have people that did not want to miss out and it's so the the prices were so low and you were getting such good bargains why not right all right. This is uh, when we look into your crystal ball for some predictions over the next five years, which is like a hundred for most normal people. <laughs> what impact is it going? Uh, is are we going to see uh, in the cannabis industry over the next half decade? I think we will actually see some movement on legislation. Um, I think, if anything, we might see it around this next election cycle. Now, is this, uh, is this legalization? Or are you talking about safe banking? What kind of regulation? Well, that. Something that I wouldn't know. I mean, I mean, I I thought we would have seen safe banking, and then that seemed to get, you know, kidnapped. Um, I think rescheduling is probably going to be the the safest. Uh, probably not the best word because of the Safe Act, but but has the most chance of something happening. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that tied in with the election cycle. It's not. It's interesting because from the data cannabis legislation doesn't necessarily draw people to the voting booths Mm -hmm. it won't make them go there but if they are there they will tend to vote for it so if you're a cannabis person it's not going to be the thing that gets you in the door but if you're in the door and there it is on the ballot you're going to go for it but if that starts to become a tight race I've heard a lot of people say they think Biden would then jump on that. He's not a very big positive. He's not a big promoter of cannabis legislation. As we know, he's, he's, he's old school guy, but he knows where the wind blows. 
And so I could see that he would be tying that to his his thing. Uh, and, and plus, when you look at the old um, history of prohibition and alcohol, when you got X amount of states that had started to pull back on prohibition for alcohol, the whole country then flipped. And I think we're getting to that tipping point with cannabis as well. So that's why I think that rescheduling has a much better chance and ultimately will help banking. Won't solve everything, but it will help. So that, that's really what, what I see. I, I think we're also going to start to see more states um, go with the full legalization as well. Yeah, we're going to move from three-fifths to like four-fifths of the country here pretty soon. It's going to be pretty wild. It's a, exactly. It just becomes a tipping point. Yeah. All right, Deborah, we we covered a lot. Anything else that uh, you want to cover or mention where people can find you at uh, Green Market Report? Right. So we are at www.greenmarketreport.com. We have an event coming up on November 2nd in Chicago. It's our Midwest Women in Cannabis uh, Summit. And like I said, November 2nd, Chicago, of course, all genders are welcome. Uh, but we're really excited about that event. And then um, next year, we're looking at doing a whole lot more. We've got four more events planned for next year. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited about um, 2024. I'll have to let uh, this gal know um, how to get high like a lady. She's the author. She's out there in Chicago. She made a tramp stamp for women in uh, like PMS and stuff. So I'll have to let her know to check that out. I think she's looking yeah. a little to try and expand. Uh, sounds like a pretty good opportunity for her and some other people looking for something similar. So I will leave uh, Deborah's information in the show notes. You can check her out. Why well, don't thank my guest, Deborah Borchart, co-founder and executive editor at Green Market Report. Deborah, thanks again for being on The Talking Hedge. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.